Father, we come to you this morning, and we are so grateful, Lord, that uh, you don't need a sound system to communicate your revelation. <laughs> we, we see your handiwork in general revelation, that is creation, and Lord, this morning we benefit from special revelation as you have revealed yourself in your word. Lord, we thank you for the Old and New Testament in it. We learned what you desire of us, and we learn about you and, and all that you've done for us. And we've been studying the life of David, and there's so many lessons to tease out of his life that we can apply, principles, etc. Lord, as we come to the latter part of his life, we just ask that you guide us in our study. Thank you again for your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. We're in 1 Chronicles 28. If you've been uh, with us this summer, we've been doing the life of David, studying that. And we will move to uh, looking at 1 John in about two weeks. So next week we'll wrap up our study of the life of David. This past April, Harold Williams received his high school Diploma, And you say, well, what's so special about that? Well, it had been 80 years that he had to drop out of high school and go serve in World War II in the European front. Harold is only one of less than 400,000 of the 16 million Americans who fought during World War II. <laughs> Sadly, we're, we're quickly approaching the end of an era, aren't we? Those that Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation. In 2 Chronicles 29, 2 Chronicles, excuse me, 1 Chronicles 28, we come to an end of an era as well. David's reign as Israel's king is coming to a close. For some of the Israelites, when you think about this, this is all they've known. They grew up with David as king. It's like Queen Elizabeth. This is the only monarch that has been serving since they've been alive. Under his leadership, the, the nation was finally unified. A, a capital was established called Jerusalem. He created an unprecedented military force. He expanded Israel's territory from 6,000 square miles to over 60,000 square miles. He brought peace, stability, and no question, Israel is now a world power, a force to reckon with in the ancient world, all under David. And now these 40 years have come, David is passing the baton to his son. And as his monarchy comes to a close, he states in these next two chapters exactly what he wants accomplished He's looking for Solomon to complete or build a temple. It's a powerful scene and one that's rather shocking. And we'll, we'll see this as we go through the text. And so David, as we're going to see, is going to give some blueprints to what's expected for the temple. And I would argue there's a blueprint that we're going to see here in, the, in this passage on how to live our lives. So let's look at this 1 Chronicles 28.1. David assembled in Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, including the commander of the tribes, the commanders of the army's divisions that served the king, the commanders of units of a thousand and a hundred, 
the officials who were in charge of all the property and livestock, kings, the sons, the eunuchs, the warriors, including the most skilled of them. King David rose to his feet. He's feeble. He's up in years. But he still has enough strength here to stand and deliver this. He says, listen to me, my brothers and my people. I wanted to build a temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant could be placed as a footstool for our God. I have made the preparations for building it, but God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor me, for you are a warrior and have spilled blood. The Lord God of Israel chose me out of my father's entire family to become king over Israel and have a permanent dynasty. Indeed, he he chose Judah as a leader and my father's family within Judah, and then he picked me out among my father's sons and made me king over all of Israel. From all the many sons of the Lord he's given me, I mean, he has many, <laughs> he's lost a few, right? He chose Solomon, my son, to rule on his behalf over Israel. Remember when David lost the child that he and Bathsheba had out of wedlock? The next child is Solomon. And it's, the text told us, we looked at that, that God loved Solomon. This is the one the Lord has chosen. He said to me, Solomon, your son is the one. You'll build my temple, my courts, for I've chosen him to become my son. I will become his father. I will establish his kingdom permanently if he remains committed to obeying my commandments, my regulations, as you are doing this day. <coughs> Excuse me. So now in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly... And in the hearing of our God, I say this, carefully observe all the commandments of the Lord your God so that you may possess this good land and may leave it as a permanent inheritance for your children after you. David's assembled a bit of a who's who here. These are leaders in the country. The text tells us there in verse 1, they served the king. I mean, these are the ones who were loyal to David. And we've already seen ones that weren't loyal. We, there was even a revolt, which we didn't study, under one of David's sons. And many of the leaders of Israel went that direction. No, these are the ones who, who've stuck with David thick and thin. And the, the flood of emotions that have to be going through their, their minds as they're sitting there. Change is imminent. No one likes change. What is this Solomon going to do? Most people probably didn't even know him that well. Oh, well, we, they knew who Solomon was, but they didn't have the relationship like they'd had with David. And David calls this group together for one purpose, and this is, this is where we, we've got to focus in. It's building the temple. Now, why? <laughs> David, you've served for 40 years. Just take it easy. Coast out of the rain, you know, pass the baton, let Solomon worry about this. Really? Is it that significant, David, that you have this temple built and that you required all the leadership to be here to hear this? I would argue yes. You see, the Jewish temple was an integral part of the very fabric of the culture. It's everything they are. In fact, if you look at the temple, it was where the Lord will dwell. It's a sign of the covenant. It's a signal that it's the end of the exile when you have a temple. It's the social, political, and economic center for the country. It's a symbol of national sovereignty. 
It secures national blessings, I would argue worldwide blessings, and it's the focal point for prayer and the Jewish religion. The temple is, is it all. I mean, that's in, in, when the Babylonians destroyed the temple, the Jews were devastated. I mean, you think of 9-11. Imagine if they'd taken out the Congress building, the White House, and all of these. It gives you a little bit of a sense of what the temple was to the Jewish people. But there's something far more significant than that. And that is, this was God's initiative. If you remember, it's the Lord who had, had directed David, has now directing Solomon, as we're seeing, to build this temple. Oh, no doubt, David and Solomon play key roles, and they will. But all the credit ultimately belongs to the Lord. And David understands this. As a man after God's own heart, this is why he's tinkering, not tinkering, he's he's dealing with these things even in his latter years he could be sitting and he having baklava back at the palace no he's he's still getting his hands dirty trying to in fact if we were to look at the previous chapters it shows all that he's gone to to try to make this work and have this ready for solomon verses two and three notice how he describes the temple it gives you a better understanding as well he calls it the house of rest which is key to Old Testament theology. I wish we had time to develop that. But it's the house of rest for the ark. Think of Psalm 132. Arise, O Lord, go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. But he also, David, refers to it as a footstool. <laughs> no human would dare use the ark as a footstool. <laughs> Ask Uzzah who even tried to catch it with his hand before it fell as it hit the ground and God struck him dead. Psalm 110, let us go to the dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. The man-made structure would serve the temple as a display of the Lord's eminence. It, it's, it's where his glory abides within, within the, the community, within the people of Israel. Yes, it's a place for sacrifice, but it's far more significant than that. It's where God resides. And here is a man after God's own heart who has faithfully served for 40 years. He says, no, I've got one more task to do, and it is vital. Later, when Solomon will dedicate the building, the temple, he'll, he states, the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you, O Lord, how much less the temple I have built. You notice in verses 4 through 8, David talks about, actually he's talking about the covenant God made with him. The promise that David, his dynasty, would carry forth forever and ever. The permanency, in fact, that's mentioned twice. And you notice what he said? The Lord chose Israel. The Lord chose Judah out of Israel. He chose, David says, my father Jesse out of the tribe of Judah. And he chose me out of the sons of Jesse. And he chose Solomon out of the sons of that I have. Now, I don't know about you, but it looks a little bit um, arrogant. <laughs> David, you just seem to flaunt your stuff these verses 4 through 8. In fact, he uses the, the word choose five times. It's used more of Solomon than any other king apart from David. Again, it seems a bit arrogant and a little bit maybe nepotistic. I'm reminded, though, of, of Remember the Apostle John in his gospel? 
he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that too seems a little arrogant at first. You think, why would he ever do that? Because David and John are overwhelmed, I would argue, with God's grace and mercy. Sinclair Ferguson makes this statement. He says, God's love is the most awesome thing about him. It is not his justice, not his majesty, nor his blazing holiness, but the fact that he has made and keeps a covenant of personal commitment and love to his people. David has some baggage. We've seen it. Scripture didn't spare any punches with David. And yet, David saw God's hand time and time again. And at this age, seasoned age, where the end of an era is coming to a close, he says, man, God has been so gracious. Look what he's done for me and for you. So as we look at a personal blueprint, you'll see this in your notes. I wrote section one of a blueprint for life. A blueprint. A blueprint for life reveals a man or woman who willingly accepts God's will. Look at verse 2. It, it's, it's subtle, but it's there. David says, I wanted to build a temple. Verse 3, but God said. The problem with a lot of people is they don't get to the but God said. <laughs> I want to do this. This is what's right for me. It feels right. I believe this. This is my experience. And we don't get to the next phrase, but God said. David, a man after own, God's own heart, understands that if we want to serve the Lord, we have to acquiesce to his will. David, the scriptures never reveal, there's, there's never an objection, Lord, I want to build this temple. I got the Lego set, I'm doing it. No. There's no negotiations, there's no fits, there's no bouts of depression, there are no defiant actions or blatant disregards. David submits to God's will, and that's amazing. This is the most powerful man in the ancient world at that time. We're in the Iron Age. I mean, he'd do what he wants. He's extremely wealthy. We're going to refer to that in a minute. He's extremely powerful. He's got an arsenal of men under his uh, uh, command. And yet, he says, no. The Lord has told me I can't do this, and I won't. Psalm 40, David declares, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Where are you this morning? Perhaps you're living in shattered dreams, failed expectations, game plans that have changed at the last minute, debilitating regrets. Just this week, I was contacted by a former student. He said, I'm 40 years, nearly 40 years old. I've not gotten married, and, and I'm really struggling with God and his goodness. <laughs> Where is he in this? I wanted to be married at this date, have children at this date, and have two dogs at that date. <clears throat> I don't know. Similar to David, we need to keep on going. We need to keep on serving, and we need to seek to exalt his name. Perhaps, like David, you need a Nathan or a Gad, a couple prophets to come alongside and encourage you, but you got to keep serving. People will let you down. 
this world is cruddy. And the Lord sees the big picture, we don't. David doesn't throw a temper tantrum. He says, but God said, and thus I will do it. It's amazing. <laughs> and so again, section one of your blueprint reveals a man or woman who willingly accepts God's will. Secondly, a blueprint for life entails a life of gratitude. A life that quickly recognizes God's blessings. Not only did David not pout, he gives this laundry list, looks like a genealogy list, of how God is blessed. And he's so grateful. Psalm 9, another psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I can or will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praises to your name almost high. You know, I believe gratefulness to the Lord can be seen in how grateful, I'm, I'm going to meddle a little bit here, how grateful an individual is to others for what they have done. I, I'm continually amazed at individuals who, who never even send a thank you note for a wedding or graduation gift. I'm going to get on a soapbox. But if you can't sit down and write a little wee note of gratitude, how are you to yield your life to a sovereign God in gratitude? We, we are an, an ungrateful lot as a people, I think. Well, now I'm meddling, aren't I? But, but we need to be known. I, I say we, I mean global. As, and I'm so grateful for us, for you as a church, because I, I see that gratitude. Keep it up. That's what we need to be known as, as a grateful people. I mean, it should ooze out of our pores. And that's where David is. As he stands here in his latter years, I am so grateful for what God has done put Al George on the spot. Al just turned 90 this week. He said, I'm just so grateful for the Lord. I was like, that's David here in Jerusalem. Being grateful for what God is doing. Well, let's get to the text. Let's go on. Verse 9. And you, Solomon, my son, obey the Lord God of your fathers. So David's given an address to the congregation or to his leaders. Now he speaks to Solomon in front of the leaders. Serve him with a submissive attitude and a willing spirit for the Lord examines all minds and understands every motive of one's thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you abandon him, he will reject you permanently. Realize now that the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a, as a sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Another section of a blueprint for life, as we see here, is it calls for dedication and obedience to God's instructions. David gives several commands here to Solomon, his son, in front of the group. So there's, everyone's hearing it. He says, first of all, Solomon, obey and serve the Lord. Notice he tells him how. He says, with a submissive attitude and a willing spirit. If you tell your child, Junior, to go make his or her bed, we'll do his. You know, Junior, go make your bed. And you tell them, and you tell them, and you tell them, and finally they go make the bed, and you go upstairs to check the bed, and it looks like a drunken sailor put it together, but the bed's there. You're going, okay. That's, that's being submissive, but it's not a willing heart. If you get up in the morning, and you walk by Junior's room, and you see that the bed is made, and it's nicely done, and the pillows are up on the bed, now that's a willing spirit, or someone who wants something, but we'll leave it at that, right? <laughs> but 
But that's, that's the kind of spirit that David says, Solomon, you need to obey, and you need to do it with a willing heart. Why? He says it here in the text. The Lord examines our minds. The Lord knows it all. <laughs> and trust me, David understands that. Just ask about the whole thing with Bathsheba and Nathan confronting him. He says, obey. Secondly, he says, seek the Lord. Do it whole, wholeheartedly. It's not a laissez-faire. There are a lot of connections, by the way, of David and Solomon and Moses and Joshua. If you had time this afternoon, you might want to make a comparison of when Moses passes the baton on to Joshua and what David is doing with Solomon. There are numerous connections here. It, it, Moses will tell the Israelites in Deuteronomy 4, seek the Lord your God and he will find you. When David moved the ark to Jerusalem in 1 Chronicles 16, he says to the congregation, or to the people, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence. And now he says to Solomon, as leader of the people, seek the Lord. Obey him, seek him. Third, realize what the Lord has done. Do not forget, Solomon, what God has done. I think that's one of the reasons why David has just rehearsed. God called Israel, he called Judah, he called Jesse, he called David, and now he's calling you, Solomon. Do not forget this. To whom much is given, much is going to be required. And finally, he says, be strong and do it. It's identical to what Moses said to Joshua. It's identical what Nehemiah, and our study, remember our study of that book, Nehemiah said to the people as well. Well, David has spoken. Now he is going to give some things to Solomon. Notice what he does in verse 11. David gave to his son, Solomon, the blueprints for the temple porch, its buildings, its treasures, its upper areas, the inner rooms, the room for atonement. He gave him the blueprints of all the envision for the courts of the lords, the temple, the surrounding rooms, the storehouses, and the storehouses for the holy items. Verse 13, he gave him the regulations for the divisions of priests and Levites. For all the assigned responsibilities within the Lord's temple, for all the terms used in the services. He's written all the, the, the HR manuals. <laughs> he's not only told, this is how it's going to be laid out. Now I'm going to deal with the personnel, and he's not done. Notice what David says now in verse 14. He gave him the prescribed weight for all the gold items to be used in various types of services. For all the silver that needed to be used for the gold lamp stands. And their gold lamps, including the weight of each lampstand and its lamps, the silver lampstands, on it goes. And he says, he gave him, latter part of verse 18, the blueprint for the seat of the gold cherubim and the, sp the spread their wings that provide shelter for the ark of the Lord's covenant. David said, do not miss this. David says, all this I put in writing as the Lord directed me. The Lord's hand is over all of this. And it says, give me insight regarding the details of the blueprints. David hands over a whole set of documents. It, it entails how the temple is to be laid out. It entails the personnel that you're going to need and what are their roles, etc. How you fire them, how you hire them, I don't know. And the contents, all that's going to be required for the temple. There are two very important observations here as we look at this text. First of all, all this planning, it's not due to David's creativity. Don't miss this. Oh, David is very creative. He wrote all the psalms, or many of them. Uh, yeah, he can play the harp. I mean, the guy's, 
He's very gifted. He's the Renaissance man before the Renaissance. But here's the problem. It's not David. Verse 19 is very clear. It's that the Lord directed him. And verse 12 intimates this as well. David is doing exactly what the Lord has instructed. And secondly, meticulous care in the weights and measures, it seems tedious. It's like reading <laughs> some of Numbers and Leviticus. What it should show us, there is no room for imprecision in the worship of the Lord. Everything is calculated. Eugene Merrill, in his A Theology of the Old Testament, writes, the care with which even in its most minute details are revealed and executed is most intelligible. For as the visible expression of the, the invisible God, the temple with all its forms and functions become a sublime revelatory vehicle of the character and purposes of the Almighty. Wow. The Lord is concerned with the very details, and we all know what happens if you don't have good blueprints, right? We're, we're, we have a real problem. Well, section four of a blueprint for life, as I look at this text, is a blueprint for life provides for the importance of finishing well by equipping the next generation with resources, training, encouragement, and exhortation. David isn't watching movies the rest of his life in the palace. He's not out on the golf course 24-7. Nothing wrong with either one of those <laughs> within moderation. No, no, no. He's, he's still serving, and he's, he's careful and calculated in what he's doing and giving all of this to Solomon. It's a big deal. He will spend years accumulating, training, and even donating personally to ensure that this temple is done correctly. In fact, if we were to have time to look at 1 Chronicles 29, David will accumulate 270 tons of gold. Wow. Yes, that, it's at least 20 billion. Some say it's even more. One, he'll accumulate 757 tons of silver. I mean, Solomon is given everything on a silver platter, no pun intended, with a little bit of gold. And, and, and David is ensuring that for this next generation, here it is. I've accumulated, I've put this all together for you. He's thought very carefully through all that he's done. Talk about great stewardship. But secondly, David obviously is giving advice. We've already seen that in verses 9 and 10. David is careful in, in ensuring that Solomon does not make the mistakes that he makes, that, that he learns. And that leads us to the third point here, that David gives his life as an example. Oh, David has his flaws, but David's life was characterized by a heart which followed hard after the Lord. Now look at this text what character and lifestyle are you investing in your children or your grandchildren? If you don't have children or grandchildren, what about the next generation within the church? What are you doing with your time, your finances, your experience, your wisdom? I, I love that at CBF, we're multi-generational. We've made a real point to do that. It's key. 
I think the danger of many evangelical churches is not that we are despising the youth, as Paul warned in 1 Timothy, but rather we're pushing aside those who are well past their youth. <laughs> those over age 50, well, you're done in the church. May that never happen here. We need the entire body of Christ working together in order to glorify him. Let me speak to you young people who don't have children or grandchildren yet, if God so should will. You know, I was thinking about this. I wish I could play back the clock. I have regrets of how I wish I could just have one more chance to sit with one of my former mentors, to ask some of the questions that I, I, I didn't hear correctly or, or should have asked, but I didn't. I wish I had taken better notes. I wish I had listened and talked less. I wish I could ask some of the questions I'm struggling with now, but they're in glory. Hmm. Seize the moment for you young people. Seize the incredible gifts God has given. I hope Solomon asked a lot of questions of David. <laughs> David had a lot to learn after 40 years. And he's handing all this off. And you know, to walk in humility, young people, Walk in gratitude and walk in accordance with the wisdom given and entrusted to you. Second Timothy 2, entrust what you've heard me say in the presence of many others as witnesses to faithful people who will be competent to teach others as well. Notice the last two verses. David said to, the, to his son Solomon, be strong. We heard that earlier in verse 10. He repeats it brave do it don't be afraid and don't panic for the lord god my god is with you he will not leave you or abandon you before all the work for the service of the lord's temple is finished here are the divisions of the priests the levites who will perform all the service of god's temple all the willing and skilled men are ready to assist you in all the work and perform their service the officials and all the people are ready to follow your instruction it's a strange thing to say, uh, as I look at this, David saying to Solomon, don't fear. What's he have to fear? <laughs> he's been given everything. He's extremely powerful. He's got all the wealth that David's bequeathing to him. He's got the blueprints. What is there to fear? I think the key is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. When God appears to Solomon and says, you know, you're now king. Is there anything that I can do for you? Can you imagine? Here's the Lord asking this of Solomon. What does Solomon ask for? Listen to what it says. Wisdom and discernment so that he can effectively, here it is, lead Israel. I think Solomon knew full well he was well out of his league. It took David 40 years with much heartache to reach this point. How could David tackle such a daunting task? I mean, we know it will take David, or Solomon, excuse me, seven years to build the temple. Seven. <laughs> Thank goodness our church isn't taking seven years, right? Uh, no wonder he's told, be bold, be strong, persevere. An era is ending. Change is inevitable. And the mantle of responsibility is now being passed on to Solomon. You know, the good news is not only did God, David prepare Solomon, that God is with Solomon, 
But I love verse 21 because the leaders of Israel are all, remember, they're all standing here. And David says, they're with you as well. David is saying to Solomon, this is a whole nation project. You're not alone in this. And we serve as we serve the Lord. And that leads us to the final section of a blueprint for life. A blueprint for life highlights the need to trust the Lord. By trust, I mean to, to find comfort, to find assurance and strength. Isaiah 12, 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. There's a little ditty that Steve Green wrote years ago for kids. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. Blueprints for life, as you see here, as we see this baton being passed, and the blueprints that are physical blueprints that are being given to Solomon, there's a, a grander one that applies to us as well. And that is first, we need to be men and women who accept what God has for us, bending our knees. Secondly, we live a life of gratitude as seen here in 1 Chronicles 28. It also calls for dedication and obedience to God's instructions. It, it entails finishing well and passing the baton on to those in the next generation if God should tarry. And finally, it highlights the need to trust the Lord. You realize that blueprint isn't really possible for us apart from what Christ has accomplished. <laughs> Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. As he chose us from the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us as adoption to himself as sons, daughters, through Jesus Christ, according, I love this, to the purpose of his will. He chose us, like he chose Israel, Judah, Jesse, David, Solomon. He chose us, the text tells us, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his son's blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of grace which he has lavished upon us. If you have not experienced this forgiveness of your sins and come to understand the riches of his grace, in other words, you've, you're still stuck in another era. <laughs> you've not come to grips with this one who has come, then today is the day to come to the Lord, recognizing you're a sinner, and accept this glorious gift that God has given, that is his son, we're going to take communion here. It's, we traditionally do this at the first of every month. This is designed for believers because it's, it's to remember what Christ has done for us. For those who have responded to Christ, those who are chosen before the foundation of the world, our call is to be holy and blameless. The blueprint that we glean from the life of David certainly gives us some markers, some things to consider. 
and it calls for a, a regular inventory of our lives. How are we doing in light of the blueprint? <laughs> Is the house starting to lean this way because we're not securing these walls here? So I think let's just spend some time as followers of Jesus to say, yeah, uh, I need to do a little bit of an inventory, and then we'll come to the, these, the, the bread and the juice. Let's pray. to you and we are so grateful that according to Ephesians 1 you called us before the foundation of the world why because you said you did it for your pleasure your delight and the means with which you knew it would take to bring us in fellowship with you is that we had to respond by asking for forgiveness of sins but also accepting your son's death on a cross. And Lord, we are so thankful. As we've journeyed through the life of David, it's a reminder of the kind of person we need to be, a man or woman whose heart burns, yearns for you. It's seen in our thoughts, it's seen in our actions, in our response to your will and how we live and how we engage one another. Lord, forgive us for where we fall short. Whether it's impatience, anger, the tongue, the eyes, the hands, the feet, Lord, that want to wander from you. The bottom line is, Lord, it's it's not yielding to you. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness. Help us to be faithful followers of you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have redemption through his son whose body was nailed to a cross. You know, we're reminded that of every time we eat this bread. But he, he did this for us, didn't he? And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Paul also stated in Ephesians 1 that we have redemption through the Son whose blood was spilt for the forgiveness of our offenses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. And so thus, we drink this cup in remembrance of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you 
we're so grateful for the cross. Lord, that our offenses, our, our, our crud, our sin, <laughs> our shortcomings, Lord, can be forgiven all at Calvary. Why? Because Christ's body was broken and his blood was spilt for us. Lord, we want to be men and women whose lives count. Like David, we want to finish well as we pass a baton on, if that's what you should, if you should tarry, and we, we get to that point, Lord. I'm reminded of Adonai Judson, the, the missionary, who said, a life once spent is irrevocable. It will, be, it will remain to be contemplated through eternity. Lord, we want a life that when it's done, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to live a blueprint that was spelled out here in 1 Chronicles 28. A blueprint for a successful spiritual life. One that marks a man or woman whose heart yearns after you. In Jesus' name.